You're listening to a Westpac Wire podcast. Westpacwire.com.au. Now, to lead our next panel, I would like to welcome up to the stage Anastasia Camarotto, CIO of Consumer Bank Westpac Group, and joining Anastasia up on stage to discuss the state of STEM education, building confidence and competence. Please put your hands together for Chandra Kusha, Chief Operating Officer, Crimson. Education, Chandra, thank you. Greg Atwells, co-founder and curriculum architect of Creatables. Greg, thank you. And Virginia Ellis, science educator, STEAM coordinator at Barker College. Thank you very much. Don't forget, questions, come to the iPad, sing out. We'll bring a microphone if we need to. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome. Uh, I think we've had a great start to the morning and I think it is important that the topic of education has come up a couple of times and so I think it's very, very pertinent that we have this conversation. Um, as, as Craig mentioned, we kicked off a report, uh, a research report that wanted to really test some of the perceptions in the market and I just wanted to share some statistics with you that I think are going to shape some of this conversation. Um, our research suggested that 86% of Australians don't know the exact meaning of STEM. Uh, 56% of Gen Z would like to be in a STEM career, but they don't know how to. Over 50% of workers who don't work in STEM believe that you need a uni degree in STEM or high-level maths or science, and yet only 30% of actual STEM workers have such a degree or studied those subjects. So with that, Virginia, maybe I'll kick off with you and let's start with the definitions. So your role as STEAM coordinator at Barkett College in Sydney uh, suggests that you've thought about the definition between STEAM and STEM. Tell Um, us. Definitely. I mean, we're all familiar with STEM as the acronym, with science, technology, engineering and maths. Our school's gone down the path which a lot of the United Kingdom has gone, which is adding the A of the arts. Now, the arts, I get a lot of grief at work because they talk about, oh, you know, it's the A can be anything. And I used to get quite upset about that. And I go, no, you know, it's leveraging the arts. It's the liberal arts, the maths, the, sorry, the um, creative arts. We've got very large drama and maths and all sorts of things in our school, so we want to leverage it together. The agriculture teacher says, of course, A is agriculture, which is true because (laughs) you actually can't do agriculture without all the other STEM. But really, the A can be anything, and it's the leverage point at which you're applying and utilising your STE and M skills and understanding. Mm. And it is all about skills and understanding, but my role is really about leveraging. Yeah. Thank you. Extending on that, Greg, your program, Creatable, so let's note the name, is a STEM educational experience that you take into girls' schools. So tell us about how you look to combine technology and creativity. Yeah, I don't actually see tech and creativity as two different things. I believe that technology is a tool that we use to create. And, you know... I've been teaching 15-year-old girls um, creative technology for the last three years, almost every single business day. And words like STEM, engineering, robotics, then they're not that attractive or appealing Mm. to that audience. Um, As you said, the stat is, I don't even really know what this means. Mm. And so I think what's missing is context. 
And so at Creatable, we've really tried hard to teach technology in context. And we do that in two ways. One, in the context of industry. So using real-world mentors, real-world problems, real-world learning environments, so that these girls can start to make those meaningful connections with, oh my goodness, if I learn these skills, then I can do that job one day, or I can be like that role model one day. Mm. And the other important piece of context is creativity. Um, We don't really call ourselves, at least at a student-facing level, a STEM education program. We prefer using words like creative technology so that we emphasize that this is technology first, sorry, creativity first, with technology in pursuit, and that this is just simply about learning to cultivate ideas and use technology as a tool to create. Because when teenage girls understand that this is a subject about creativity and the power of an idea, and I might learn how to program or solder or um, 3D print and fabricate because it means that I can bring my idea to life, that is the engaging piece. Whereas if I say to you, oh, come to a coding camp or an after-school robotics class, that kind of already sounds boring. Yeah. 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 Excellent. Chandra, um, you co-founded uh, a business, uh, Crimson Education, which assists high school students looking to attend US and UK universities. Do you think that this problem is unique to Australia? What are you seeing in terms of perceptions, the lack of you know, potential career development or the conversation? So I think that um, the the problem that we have uh, here in Australia around um, visibility of, ten, of tech and STEM opportunities, um, not just for females but for males too who are young, um, is not a is not a, a not a unique um, problem to Australia. I think that it's something that we see all around the world, and I think that the challenge with this problem is that it's a cultural issue. Um, uh, Virginia and I were chatting earlier on, and we were talking about the fact that when I was at high school, um, all of my teachers said that to be successful you had to be you know a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer and um, I remember people talking about STEM and when they talked about STEM they would talk about um, medicine or they talk about engineering and Virginia was saying that when she was at school it was the exact same thing um, and I graduated from high school seven years ago so you know <laughs> so um, <laughs> I think that we live in a world now that is changing so, so quickly. Um, but the unfortunate thing is that, unfortunately, culturally, we're not we're not adapting to that. So um, I don't think it's unique to Australia. I think that, you know, in Australia, we're lucky that the government um, is seeing um, this is an area that needs investment. So, for example, we have had $64 million pledged towards, um, you know, digital digital. Um, upskilling for um, early learners and high school students. But I think there's so much that we need to do. And I think that, you know, we all have a role to play in being able to change the culture of making STEM careers um, and what STEM looks like in the world today actually visible to young people. Because without that, it's fairly challenging to actually change perception around, you know, what what I want to be when I grow up or what kind of skills are useful to the world today. That's fantastic. So it's, it's quite interesting that you say, you know, the kind of perceptions. Our research, again, suggested that um, all parents, a significant percentage of parents want their um, uh, children to go into STEM careers. Um, fathers want them to be, uh, their sons to be engineers and they want their daughters to be doctors, right? So that that kind of, you know, still stereotype exists in terms of what is a STEM career. Now, interestingly, Chandra, you decided that you are studying a computer science degree, 
Why? What, what do you hope to get out of that? So I guess um, I've been on this journey with Crimson. We're an ed tech startup. Um, we started six years ago. And prior to um, entering into this journey with Crimson, I had no technical background. And my co-founder, Jamie, um, also had no technical background. So um, the idea of kind of being in this industry that um, is all about empowering students um, and using technology to kind of break geograph ge geographical barriers um, through technology, I think is uh, something that I feel very passionate about. And after, I guess, having done this for six years and seeing the power of, of technology in our space where we can connect students here in Australia to global mentors um, who have the same passion as them um, through technology, I just feel like it's such an important skill set to have. And um, I, I met with uh, one of my one of my friends and um, when I arrived in Sydney a few days ago and she works at a really big tech company that um, you know we all um, know about and I'm sure we use them every day um, and she said to me uh, why do you want to study computer science aren't you scared that you're not going to be able to use it with you know AI and um, the the future of AI you know being right on our doorstep and I was kind of sitting there um, and, and I, as she was saying that I was thinking oh my gosh you know just three or four years ago Studying computer science was something that was so, so new to me and so new to so many people around me. And here I am, you know, about to embark on this journey of learning this new skill. Um, and it already feels like I'm, you know, behind the ball. So I feel like being able to kind of learn these foundational skills, being able to kind of build things um, and be creative um, through building um, different forms of technology um, is quite important because um, without the skill set, I feel like we're not really, I wouldn't really be in a good position to be setting myself up to make the most impact on the world around me so um, that's why I chose to do it um, and I wish I had I wish I had made that decision a few years ago now um, because it feels like I'm kind of behind the curve um, which is uh, yeah which is quite scary to think <laughs> you're not alone I'm you're not alone um, Greg you said that STEM is considered deeply uncool by teenage girls and I would agree I think there's a lot that we need to do around perception but tell us what what age do you think that you know, kind of attitude, that perception kicks in and what could we be doing around that? Yeah, I mean, I think it happens in high school and here's why. The amount of times I've heard the phrase, I'm not that creative over the last three years from the girls that we teach, mm. it's just mind-boggling. And I say to them, when did you learn this? Like you weren't running around as a three-year-old avoiding paint, Lego or crayons because you weren't that creative. At what point did your own creative confidence start to subside? And do you know what they tell me? They're really insightful. They say, well, when I started comparing myself to others. Mm -hmm. And so I actually believe that our creativity is our superpower. You know, when you compare how we are in the world as human beings um, against the animal kingdom, for instance. Our creativity is our superpower, but our kryptonite is comparison. Mm -hmm. So one causes us to rise and the other causes us to fall. And I think that comparison culture that grips uh, a lot of girls in high school is the thing that causes, like, <laughs> I heard one girl say, have you seen the robotics girls, mm -hmm. right? So, so which is a, a heartbreaking mm -hmm. statement, but uh, uh, like obviously a, a, a real one. And all because it's just comparing, comparing image, comparing, you know, 
I don't think I'm creative because what we really mean when we say I'm not that creative is I'm not as creative as her. And so we've kind of got to dismantle this, um, this the fact that we're, we've been socialized to compare and we've been socialized to be perfect and, and we can't be brave if we're trying to be perf- perfect. And so there's a few things that are going on in the melting pot of high school mm. that I think make it a really strategic age group to target. And the other interesting thing is there's just an engagement dip, particularly in year nine and 10. Kids start high school and they're pumped because yeah. it's high school. Year 11 and 12, they're doing the HSC. So they're like focused, they want to get good marks. But year nine and 10 is a struggle. They, the, the engagement drops because they're like, is what I'm learning relevant? Like, is, am I ever going to use this one day? And so we need to create those meaningful and relevant learning experiences in high school. Mm. And for that, we need great teachers. Yeah. And actually, let's, you teach both boys and girls at Barker. I do. Barker's um, independent school on the north side of of, up in Hornsby. We have been co-ed in the senior years for 40 years. And we've made the big decision, the leadership made the big decision that by 2022, we will be fully co-ed again through um, the whole school. We were 120 years ago, then it left. So I've taught only boys in many classes and co-ed for a very long time. And I do feel that that sense of engagement is very true. I mean, how many of you, who could pay you enough to be a teenager again, really? (laughs) It's a tough time. And I really think the other thing, the way the girls learn is that they really want to get it right. Mm. And then they'll go, okay, and now I'll give this a try. Whereas the boys will just have a go and they're progressing forward whereas the girls go forward in spits and starts and I think part of my role as STEAM coordinator I really thought "Mm, it's just you know let's make it up as I go along to be honest I'm the STEAM politician I'm really helping it's we're a very large school we've got an enrollment of over 2,000 students very large staff Lots of silos, lots of silos. And I was really thinking, okay, we'll help the students make the connections in their learning. They don't need that. Mm. The teachers need to understand that they need to leverage each other's skills and they need to come out of their silos. And when we talk about great teaching, it's in context. I mean, that's not new, but kind of the way that it is being done in our pedagogy is kind of new. I mean, certain teachers have been doing it for a really long time. It's very hard to make science boring. You've got to try really hard. And one of the reasons why I became a science teacher is... um, Well, there's lots of reasons. And, you know, again, do medicine like your sister. No, thank you. Do law. I just was lost. I was absolutely at sea. And I kind of fell into teaching. And a few of my friends have gone, oh, you've only done teaching. I'm thinking, goodness me, I've brought passion to this career for the last 30 years because I just think it's so important that we have a better than a – I shouldn't use another magazine's term, but a better than a – I can't really say that. <laughs> <laughs> steam a better, politician. A, a better than, a, yes, a steam politician. A better than a loose understanding of the world around, around us. We need a really good, firm understanding. I say to my students, they're going to have to make decisions in their own lives and voting about genetic engineering. Who likes carrots? You're all eating genetically engineered food, yeah. you know. So people need to have this understanding. And again, it comes down to good context mm. and good teaching. Are we enabling the bright minds to rise into the teaching career Mm. and are we enabling those of us who are there and passionate and you know when I did university coding I did it on a punch card and in fact I was at um I was at um IBM last year in America and I used that machine and I punched my own name and the kids are going what are you doing (laughs) 
So my coding career has been fairly diverse and I think you just need to, um, the old the old guard like us have to be enthusiastic and have to be, mm. we have to raise up and we need to get teachers like me out into all of the schools, mm. not just the schools like the independent schools that, that, that have privilege and money and access and we need to be able to, you know, partnership with those companies that can help those teachers to rise up. Yeah. Mel, I'm sure you aren't bad at maths. You are a highly intelligent woman, but did you have a great teacher? Yeah. <laughs> you know, did you see the context of your mathematics? And that's really important. Yeah, yeah I agree. And I think that whole idea of confidence, competence, which you've spoken about quite a bit. Absolutely. And how that translates to teaching is so important. Absolutely. And girls don't understand that a confident boy doesn't mean he's necessarily competent. Yeah. <sighs> Yeah. It's so true. <laughs> so maybe, Chandra, what do you think universities and schools should be teaching based on what you're seeing? I think it's all about um, skills and allowing students to really recognize the skills that they're building as they're building it. So I feel like we're moving away from a, a, a labor economy um, where we value knowledge um, as like the sole as the sole um, things that we're the sole thing that we're kind of transacting. Um, I think that we're moving to a world where. Um, where employers and um, companies and organizations are really valuing skills. So I think that by allowing students at high school and at university to have the opportunity to apply a lot of the knowledge that they're learning while they're learning it um, across multiple different um, multiple different um, subjects and, and, and discussion areas is where a lot of that um, those skills will be, will be built. Um, there's a really fantastic book that I read um, a few years ago called The Medici Effect. And... Um, the reason I really like this book is it talks about the fact that in our world today, a lot of the most um, impactful innovations that we've seen have actually come from the intersection of multiple different disciplines. Mm. So um, I think that if we can help students at a young age to not just think about learning English in an English silo and learning science in a science silo, but really be able to kind of go out into the world and think about the knowledge they're learning in school and how it's actually perpetuating itself in the world around them it really helps to be able to build the skills, I think, um, but also helps us to be able to see the reality of what we're learning in class outside of the classroom. So I think that's probably key. And then I think that also um, being able to foster um, a culture where we really lift uh, people up. So um, being able to embrace successes that, um, you know, young um, females have in technology and in STEM um, when, they, when they're at school, I think is quite important. So I think extracurriculars have a really important role to play um, in being able to do this. School is not just a place that students go to learn academically it's also um the the main sort of um platform that they have to learn great social skills learn leadership skills um and you know start engaging with potential career pathways so i think um by being able to kind of integrate extracurriculars into the learning environment help students to apply what they're learning in the classroom at high school and really start to kind of um, call out skills as they're being developed, whether it's um, problem-solving skills, um, critical thinking skills, um, or maybe, um, you know, uh, hard skills that they're they're going to be applying later on across multiple different fields. I think that we can be equipping students better. Yeah, and so even should we? even risk taking is a skill. Yeah, and you have to be prepared to take a risk, and we have to be much better at not criticizing. So how do we put that in the curriculum? And, and I'm interested because you know the curriculum becomes a kind of ongoing debate. Should we change it? How do we change it? How do you implement that change? 
I'm interested in hearing from both the, of you. There's a lot of curriculum change at the moment, particularly in the sciences. Yeah. All of the syllabus is new. Um, and we are still very much driven by the content. And you do need to understand your content of all your subjects. You have to be an expert in, well, you know, a high school expert in what you do, but then you can leverage it in other things. And I think it's really important that people look at the curriculum and don't see them as silos and then use the creativity to leverage them together. So we've been using the Big History Project, which is a project that's come out of um, Macquarie University, which looks at history in the context from the Big Bang all the way through. And we, um, we're doing that in year nine and we've started that project doing science and history all at the same time and our drama students are doing the most amazing production next week based on Orbit, which is to do with, you know, it's the 50th anniversary of the lunar landing and all that thing. So you've just got to be creative, but you've got to have someone who's willing to drive that and do the hard work of mapping that curriculum because the links are there mm. and you've got, to have, you've got to have a boss that champions you to do that. Yeah, I, sorry. Oh, yeah. Oh, I was just going to say no. I really, I really agree with that. I think it's about um, really having a champion for the curriculum, and I think it's also um, about being able to understand that the curriculum is really important. The knowledge is really important, um, but what's also important is pairing that with an opportunity to apply it and an opportunity to Absolutely. learn as you go. Um, an interesting example of this is I actually went to a high school in New Zealand, um, which was uh, very unique in the way that it was structured. We had five normal days of school that you went to school but on only four of those days you would learn in a normal classroom setting so every Wednesday um, the whole day was taken up by what we called impact projects and each student had the chance from um, year 10 to determine what they wanted to spend that day on based on their passion or based on what they thought they wanted to do when they left school so we had kids who were year 10 and um, were working with their physics teacher and working with the English teacher um, and working with you know um, the mathematics teachers to be able to build um, uh, in, in, innovations and inventions to submit to the Google Science Fair, and that was that was something that normally you know a year, a year twelve student or a university student would be doing. So, um, being able to kind of appreciate the importance of having curriculum, but also I think um, schools feeling comfortable and confident enough to be able to give students structured environments to be able to apply things um, is also really important. Mm -hmm. um, we don't take a syllabus first approach to education. We take an industry first approach. And so what I mean by that is we're mapped to the syllabus, but we designed our curriculum based on industry best practice and, and the way that the world's most innovative organizations are solving the world's most interesting problems because that's what we're trying to teach students. Um, and so, Imagine learning product design from Apple or imagine learning about digital marketplaces from Amazon. Like imagine learning about really relevant, interesting things from the brands and organizations that are leading the way. And I really feel like industry education partnerships are key to our future mm. when you talk about curriculum because they add context mm. and they make learning more meaningful by placing it in real world mm. environments. Mm. Mm. Agree. I've got a ton of questions here, which is fantastic. And I've got a ton of questions that I want to ask. So, uh, so, so let's, let's start off with, um, with a focus. I love this one. With a focus on engaging the human side of technology, the A in STEAM. What do you think we can be doing as a community to help change the perception that being in tech means being in a deeply technical role? Thanks, Jess. Who wants to take that one? Hello. 
I think part of it is agile thinking and I think we need to also um, educate our parents in the sense that a a linear career is not what their children are going to have and people say that and they know it but they still sit at parent teacher night and say, so what are they going to get for their ATAR and do you think New South Wales is better over Sydney? Um, In a sense, we need to to broaden our thinking and I do think for – the technical skills are important, but you need to have, as you said, you have to have a context in which why you're wanting to solve the problems. And you need to be able to see the world as not linear. And I think that's where science comes in because it's so important for you to see all the great aspects of that. So you're still always going to have science and technology and maths as part of your core that you need to know. But all students want to know why do we need to know this? Teachers want to know why do we have to have this meeting? Why do we need you all want to know why you're here? So we've got to be able to leverage that and and the creativity they have so much to offer and I think people who have been trained as scientists sometimes lack that um, if they've not been exposed mm-hmm. you wouldn't go to a gig and be really captivated by a performance and then whisper to your friend oh how good's her guitar like sometimes we <laughs> we miss the song for the guitar and what I mean by that is we're focusing so much on the tech and all our language is based around the technology that we're using. So we call things by the, the, we give subjects names based on the tech, like coding, robotics, but like it's just a guitar, like it's just a tool to express yourself. So I think we need to shift the focus mm-hmm. in our language back to creativity, cultivating ideas, solving problems with whatever tools we have at our disposal Mm. um yeah yeah i really agree with you i think that um it's really helpful to always take a step back and remember that technology it has been such a revolutionary part of the way that the world operates today because it's helped us to solve problems in in new and innovative ways that we haven't been able to do it before so for me the human element of technology is very important and is probably one of the most important things because without the i mean without the human element technology wouldn't exist right so um i think that uh the the from my perspective and my and my experience with Crimson, really understanding um, the problem that you're trying to solve is super important. So regardless of whether you know um, you're a co-founder of an organization and you understand what problem you're trying to solve directly from your own experience, or whether you're a software engineer in the company. I think that being able to really connect um, the problem with the the tool that you're using or the the technology that you're trying to build to solve the problem um, is a really effective way of of making sure that you're keeping the human element um, at the center of whatever you're trying to do with technology because um, technology wouldn't exist without humans being here and technology wouldn't be um, such a huge tool that we use in our lives every day if we weren't solving problems that were important to us. So let me um, let me now ask a question that I think has fascinated me. I'm obviously very proud of the the work that Westpac's doing around STEM commitment. I'm on social media a lot, uh, promoting it and so on. Uh, Greg, uh, you, both you and I had some recent experience getting trolled, right? You got trolled on on YouTube videos. I got trolled on LinkedIn, or LinkedIn of all places, right? <laughs> but 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 um, and yet the whole idea here was that. You know, there's some quite persistent pushback around the idea that women are inherently less interested in STEM Mm. and our work is forcing something that is not natural. How do you address that? And and that's obviously open to all of you, but I'll start with you, Greg. Um, To have the nerve to say that when 
for thousands of years, we've socialized girls to pursue beauty over bravery, to pursue silence over strength, and to pursue perfectionism over passion. And to have these fields that demand bravery, require passion, and involve risk, and then wonder why girls aren't interested in things that they have been socialized to avoid, it really makes me angry. Because this is not just a woman's issue, it's a human issue. And we need young boys to be aware and to care about this as well, because they're the ones alongside their peers, their girls in the classroom, when the girls feel like giving up and changing classes, their voice of encouragement at that time matters. My wife did a postgrad law degree. She wanted to give up, I reckon, at least 30 times doing it. We had young kids at the time. She threw her books in the bin. She were at Westfield one day and she threw her student card away. And I just, I would not let her give up. And my encouragement was just one step at a time, just keep going. And she ended up finishing. But like, that's what we need. This is a human issue. And we need advocates, both men and women, to really care about this and be aware and, and speak up. Role models. Yes. Beautiful. Okay, we've got a couple of minutes and I'll ask one last question because I think it's, it's, um, it's easy for us sitting in this beautiful kind of location um, talking about, you know, STEM opportunities, education and so on and extracurricular activities to forget that not all parents can afford those extracurricular activities. And so what do you think we should be doing around areas of lower socioeconomic advantage about, you know, aspects of our society that can't necessarily get to those opportunities? We need role modelling and we need volunteers. <laughs> Schools are busy places and you're so focused on what's got to happen and doing your playground duty and blah, blah, blah. I mean, we all work in busy places. But you have the expertise that schools need. Your children are in schools that could utilise your expertise. Your neighbourhoods have them and not your neighbourhoods. Go a bit further out. I began my teaching career in a place called Prairie Wood, which wasn't in the phone book or in the street directory at that time. It was a brand new school. And um, it was an eye-opening experience for me. And I still go out there and do work with those students out there because of the opportunities that they don't have. You need to find the place and pull up your volunteerism and get out there. Mm. And you need to go to schools and leadership and say, this is what I've got to offer. Mm. How can I help you? Because that is the only way that students, boys and girls, are going to see what the possibility is. And their parents need to see that as well because many of them haven't had the opportunity. I mean, my, my children went to Taramara High School and there were girls in my eldest daughter's year, so that was 2012, and they've gone to university and they were the first children in their, in their family to go to university. We live on the cushy North Shore and I found that fascinating. Mm. So what more do people need exposure to? Mm. And they also need exposure to technical skills. You don't have to go to university, but you do need to see. And if you don't see, you don't know what you can be. Mm. That's fantastic. Well, with that, I think that that is a you know huge kind of theme. Please uh, put your hands together. Thank our panel. That's all from us today at Westpac Wire. For more, head to westpacwire.com.au.